Hi, and welcome to this latest episode of SEPAD Pod, the Sectarianism, Proxies, and Desectarianization podcast based at Lancaster University. I'm Simon Mayburn, and today I'm joined by Martin Beck. Martin is Professor for Contemporary Middle East Studies at the University of Southern Denmark. He's written on a whole range of, of aspects of the, the Middle East, from Israel-Palestine to the IR of the Middle East to Saudi Arabia to much, much more. So I'm really looking forward to having him on the podcast today. Martin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. I mean, it's it's such a pleasure. Oh, the pleasure is mine, Martin. I've been reading your work for, for a long time now. It had a really big impact on on how I how I really got to grips with the IR of the Middle East. So I'm I'm really excited to get to talk to you about about your work today. Um, that's very flattering, and uh, I mean I, I I'm, I'm happy to retaliate. I just <laughs> read uh, your your uh, article desectarianization look beyond the sectarianization of Middle Eastern po- politics in, in in the review of faith and international affairs and it's 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 an excellent one. Oh, thank you that's very kind of you to say I, I appreciate it and it's good to know that that one's work is being read but <laughs> but anyway yes. enough about me Martin we're here to talk about you today which I'm really excited about so um, as always with these these podcasts Martin I, I start by asking um, our guests what got them interested in in the Middle East. So can you tell us a bit about what what piqued your interest in in both the Middle East and international relations, please? I mean, to to be honest, I mean, it all started with with, uh, me being fascinated by by a professor of political science who who was was an expert on on, on Middle East studies. And um, so... But at the beginning, it was more about this professor and his his uh, approach, and so I I only fell in love with the Middle East after, let's say, I I started from from a more theoretical angle to analyze Middle Eastern studies, but then I really fully fell in love uh, with with the Middle East. I mean, with the Middle East as an as an academic right. subject. And oh, also an area to live. I mean, I, I spent I spent quite some years of my life in in, in, in different uh, locations of the Middle East, such as Palestine, um, also Jordan, Lebanon, and a bit also Iraq. Right. Okay. So so there's there's both a theoretical sort of academic interest, mm-hmm. but also a personal interest. I see. Uh, yeah. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. Could you mention the the professor's name who who piqued your interest? Yeah, his his name is Peter Pavelka. Um, most probably, uh, you, you did not come across him because he's he's a, a very classic German uh, scholar, a great scholar, but very German also. I mean, in that way that he, <laughs> right, okay, he, he did not publish much in English. Sure. Sure, and that, that's something that, that you've done, I thought, uh, quite quite nicely, managed to compile a, a body of work spanning different languages, which is, is certainly uncommon for the, the academics working in the UK, but I guess all, altogether more common for, for academics working on the continent. But perhaps we can get onto that in a... Um, in a bit, Martin. Can I ask your um, your, your PhD then? What was your PhD mm-hmm. in? Given that you've got this this burgeoning interest, but had this did this come before you'd been out and, and lived in the region, or was this more theoretically driven? This was certainly more uh, theoretically driven. Um, it was. It's my, my PhD is in, in, in the 
international oil politics uh, with a focus on on OPEC, Organization sure. of Petroleum Exporting Countries, and uh, a case study on on the rentier state of of uh, the of Iran. Right. And uh, so this came very much. I mean, from my theoretical angle, also with revolution theories on, on re social revolutions yeah. applied to to the Iranian case and so on. Fantastic, and that, that's fascinating. And can you just share a few reflections on that, on on the study of OPEC? I mean, it's it's not something that that we've really discussed on the podcast before, but I think it's such an important arena for for a number of these these rivalries and tensions to play out in. I I, I think that that in general, I mean, OPEC is much underestimated, and I think it has had a, had a much more. Um, important impact on on international on, on the on the oil price development than than it's usually acknowledged um, by by scholars, and I also uh, you know I also believe that that uh, that OPEC I mean they they, they really managed um, to to uh, solve a major. Issue. I mean, this. It's. It's. They are exposed to a to a dilemma situation. I mean, yeah. they, they they are interested, of course, in, in in cooperation, but they also have strong incentives not to cooperate, and and they in 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 many in important periods, um, they managed actually to to um, to overcome this um, prisoners dilemma, and and this is also it's not only true of the. Some periods of the 1980s, but also in, in currently, I mean, now we have OPEC Plus, and uh, and they haven't they have an impact on on the oil price. Of course, the oil price declined in 2014, but this is related to to something else. But the 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 uh, the answer that OPEC Plus had is 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 rather, I mean, it it did not change the whole. Structural decline of the oil price. How could it? Yeah. But it managed somehow to to at least mitigate uh, the, the this 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 extreme oil price decline 2014 and uh, and um, after. Fantastic. It's really interesting. I know that you've you've sort of punctured the remainder of your well, I say your your ongoing career with with work on. On oil revenues and on rentierism and OPEC, mm -hmm. but but when I was speaking to our, our mutual friend Morten Valbjorn, I told him that mm -hmm. I was recording with you, and he suggested that that I talk to you a little bit about the the climate in which you were studying it um, for your for your PhD, which was I'm going to um, really butcher the name of this, the University of Tubingen. Tubingen, yes, um, you know, I mean. I was I'm, I was um, a student of of in, in Tübingen, but also my PhD, and then 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 I also went through this uh, German torture of of uh, habilitation. Um, it's 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 a kind of second PhD, uh, right, very okay. formal, and so I spent all in all. Uh, close to 20 years of my life in, in, in Tübingen. I haven't been at any other uh, in any, any other town more more than this. And Tübingen is, is a it's a 
kind of you would call it, I think, college town. I mean, it's 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 a it's basically a university with a town, not a town with a university. <laughs> right. Um, okay. Yeah, similar to Lancaster, then. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it was it, it it's a very protected environment. I mean, you can really focus on on academic affairs, and which is which comes. To, to one's benefit, of course. Of course, yeah. But it comes also with a danger. I mean, the danger is that you live in your in your ivory tower, in your in your academic bubble. And so I was also very happy um, that I that I found my way out of of Tübingen directly to uh, to the to, to the hardcore Middle East. I mean, hardcore in that way that I went to Palestine for three years and, right. and used to live under occupation, and that's an experience that is very. I mean, it differs very much from from I'm this sure. protected environment in in Tübingen University. I'm sure um, we'll we'll get onto that shortly, Martin. But uh, I think one of the points that Morton was was raising concerns the the legacy of this strong focus on on rentierism and neo patrimonialism when you were there. That's true. I mean, this is and this is what what this Peter Pavelka stands for. I mean, he. He introduced this concept uh, to, uh, to to German academia, basically, and um, and and this influenced me me a lot. I mean, also the basic idea that you that you that you uh, apply theories to a in those days. I mean, we're talking about the the nineteen. 80s and 90s. In those days, I mean, Middle Eastern uh, studies or or scholars working on the Middle East, they were rather, in the average at least, most of them were rather reluctant um, to to apply theories um, because they they in these days it was still fashionable to say the Middle East is different and um, and and not really. Uh, doesn't fit into into these um, yeah. these uh, theories that are made, um, you know, for for analyzing other other systems and, and mainly the West, of course. Of course, I think that that's an interesting point that that you're talking about here in terms of the the application of theory to the region. Can you offer some guidance as someone who's been through this this very rigorous process? For people, and I, I digress slightly, but this is a conversation that I continue to have with, with my own PhD students. What advice would you give give scholars of the region, early career scholars and PhD students, about the application of theory to to the region? And granted, there's this this move away from this this exceptionalism that perhaps mm-hmm. was was so common um, in the earlier times uh, in Germany, but. What advice would you give to scholars who were trying to combine theory and and the empirical issues of the region? I'm very happy that you mentioned this key term, exceptionalism, because uh, I think in in a, in a certain way, of course, this is this is a, a a very problematic concept to say the Middle East is exceptional. Um, it, it's then very problematic when when it's when the implication is. That it's or the assumption, the presupposition is that that somehow the, the Middle East is 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 different in substance, 
guess religion culture yeah. plays a specific role or so but but very ill-defined however i also believe that that there are actually features in the middle east that differ very much from from features in most other world regions for example i think that 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 institutions are rather ill um, developed in, in in the middle east in comparison not only to europe that's an unfair comparison, but also to Latin America, to most parts of Asia. So, and but this is a structural difference, and, and it's it's not to say that that there is something something different in the. I mean, it's 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 very concrete, and you can show it's there are structural differences of the Middle East. It's not that the Middle Easterners, as such, are are different, but they are exposed to a different kind of of setting a different framework. Yeah, I think that's a, a wonderful way of putting it, actually. I, it's probably the best explanation of of the rejection of exceptionalism that I've heard. So thank you for that. that that's one thank that I'm going to use. But thank you. And I guess that, that then sheds light on, on how theory can be applied to the region, not by necessarily studying purely the empirical issues, but by the structural issues that often require theory to get to grips with what's oh. actually happening. Yeah, I would be happy to be understood like that. Yes, thank Fantastic. you. <laughs> well, thank you, Martin. That, that's, that's a wonderful oh. nugget to take out of this, and I will continue to use it with my own students. So thank you. Um, we've sort of skirted around it a bit, but you, you finished your, your time... In Germany, and then you went to Palestine. Yes. What was it that took you to Palestine? I mean, other than perhaps having a, a different way of life, a different living experience, what took you there? You, you know, I, I wrote my habilitation on on on, on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and in these days, on you know, that this was this was this was in, was in the nineties, so it was these. This uh, start of this um, this Oslo negotiation process, right. and yeah. um, and when I, when I just had finished uh, my, my 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 this habilitation, uh, then you know then then I got uh, luckily enough um, I, I got a got a, a job offer to to be a visiting professor at Brzeit University. And, Wonderful, and you know I mean. Uh, I wrote this this uh, habilitation very much in my ivory tower in, 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 in tubing. Of course, I had some field visits, but very very short. So it was for me it was a, a kind of life changing chance. I mean, to to really live my 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 research yeah. object, or or let's call it a research subject. Um, you know, this this was really like a, a, yeah, a life changer for me. I can imagine. What was what were your initial reactions then on on moving there and living, as you say, under occupation? I mean, it, it was um, of course there was some some adaptation to be to be done, but um, it was at the same time really for me personally um, a um, a great experience because. You know, I, I was I was um, as as a as a visiting professor at Brzeit, we considered somehow um, continuing 
education as a kind of uh, as a kind of resistance and and I, I think I've never been as close to my students as as I've been in in, in, in Birzeit and when when it was sometimes really very difficult to say the least to, to, to meet in class yeah and and always when we managed I mean to bypass checkpoints or you know I mean sometimes you had to walk uh, four kilometers or so through the fields because you could not pass the checkpoints in a regular way and and so sometimes I had I had uh, I had uh, students um, to take exams with students I had to, to, to go to their half destroyed homes because they they were under under curfew or they could not they could not um, leave their 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 camps for example and so this was you know for 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 a spoiled young academic um, in in from tubing from a provincial area in in Germany this was really something like an, also an, an eye opener about you know what politics can mean to people and uh, in, in, in a not so privileged um, environment yeah it's it's quite something to, to grapple with uh, that, that that theme of focusing on people seems to be something that that comes up time and time again in your work Martin be it the the role of, of, of individuals and in protest movements in Lebanon be it the um, you call it slavery, a form of slavery in one of your articles, I believe. Um, contract slavery, that's it, in the political economy of domestic work in Lebanon. This this theme of agency really keeps cropping up alongside the focus on uh, on oil and OPEC and rentierism, but this, this focus on agency and IR as well seem to be equally um, interesting and prevalent themes that I want to, I want to explore in a little bit, but can you just say a little bit about how you how you engage with your positionality? As, as you were you were answering that that last question, you flagged up the the sense of a someone from a privileged background going to to an occupation. How do you how do you negotiate that? How do you negotiate those experiences in your writing, which is obviously driven by by rigorous scholarship? But how do you address that that frustration and those experiences of building bonds? With, with your students and with, with the people that you live with, albeit in a way that has to be be as as objective as possible? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I started very much uh, with a, like, like with, a, with a high high degree of abstract uh, application of, of, of theories. And, and at the beginning of my my career, I think I, I, I often often fail to really make clear what this what this means for 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 people. However, I think when it comes to this, I maybe I've been improving. I mean, because in the end, of course, politics is is about or has a meaning for has an impact on on, on people, and unfortunately. Um, in, in, in the Middle East, most politics has a has a very problematic impact on on people, and and um, I think I I also have a I mean a basic feeling for for those who are who are underprivileged. Um, I, I I'm I'm 
I had a sensitivity for this, maybe because of my, my, my own social background is not, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm, I, I said earlier that I'm, that I'm privileged. Of course I am, but I was not, let's say, born privileged. And so um, maybe I have a, a, a certain sensitivity for, for those people who, who uh, so. you know, have no, have no chance really to, to have to have a free and self-determined uh, determined life, and and of course, when it I mean let, let's say when it comes to to more my, my academic work, um, I see this very clearly. I mean, with with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and very often when, when it, it's it's applied. I mean, there's a the conflict paradigm is is applied, and 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 I, I think it it is a conflict, of course. But what comes sometimes with, with the application of this conflict paradigm is the assumption that that there are two equal, basically equal actors having having a, a, exposed to a situation in which they disagree upon major issues. But of course, I say of course it is there is no no equality between these two actors. I mean, there's, it's a high highly asymmetric. Conflict. Yeah. This should be made clear also in academic, um, in academic um, um, analysis, and, and very often it is not. I mean, it's presented as if yeah, two equal actors um, have trouble to to come to a peaceful quote unquote peaceful situation. Um, but but of course, it's it's occupation is. Is a highly asymmetric yeah. um, situation, and, and and I I I perceive. Meanwhile, the the uh, the PLO, sorry to say this, as a junior partner of 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 occupation. I mean, they 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 are not they are not uh, real opponents of of um, of uh, of this occupation. I think many would be inclined to agree with you on that. Which is quite devastating if you contextualize it in everything yeah. that's happened. Yeah, Martin, and it should make oh, clear, sorry, should be made clear in in, in academic uh, analysis. I, I would yeah, say definitely, definitely. Let's let's go back to your your personal journey, if I may. I'm, I'm conscious we've taken up a lot of your time, and we're only in uh, we're only in Palestine at this point. So um, perhaps we'll we'll move quickly on. But where did where did life take you after Berzate? Um, then I, I went to, to, to Giga in Hamburg, um, which is a great um, institute, which yes. to which I'm still affiliated somehow. And um, and so I several were. I mean, this is the German Institute of Global and Area Studies, and they have also an institute for Middle East affairs. And th but then I went after. After six, seven years, I went back to 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 the, to the Middle East. In this case, then to Jordan and um, and Lebanon. This case was with a political um, foundation of a, one of these German political foundations, where I was not really acting as a as a as a as an academic, but uh, but it was it was more about political giving political advice and. And um, we already this was in the in the in 
in the, in the middle of the Arab Spring. So we organized a lot of workshops um, on on the Arab Spring and in Jordan and in Lebanon. Right. That must have been an interesting time for you, being trained as an academic, to then put on a different hat, so to speak. Yeah, and, exactly. And start providing policy advice based on your expertise, but in a completely different way. What what lessons do you take out of that time, Martin? And what advice would you have for, for academics finding themselves in that type of position? I mean, I think first it's healthy sometimes for for academics, I think, to, to, to go out of academia for a limited period at least. I mean, it, it, it's also, it gives you new insights and um, it comes also with a price. I mean, it, it then takes you, I mean, after three years or so, it takes, takes you then another one, two years when you're back in academia to really be fully back and to catch up with yeah. with uh, debates and so on. But but all in all, I mean, it's 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 a real. Um, I, I take some, let's say, pride in that. That when when I when I when I talk to my students about future careers that they should envision or so, that I that I somehow can tell them something beyond university and um, and. Like university life and the and life as a as a researcher. I'm inclined to agree that it's it's a useful experience. I did a, the same thing, albeit whilst still being based at a university, I was sort of seconded, mm-hmm. if you will, for a period of time. But that I also found it a challenge, yeah. a real challenge to to wear those two hats. Perhaps the challenge That's was true. to do it yeah. simultaneously. But I found that moving into the the policy realm was. It required a completely different set of skills. Yeah, this is true. I mean, but but of course, also as an academia, you have some skills that are contrary to to uh, other rumors um, that 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 are useful. I think also for for the life beyond. beyond some people beyond have it. said that, yeah, that we're not just consigned to an ivory tower, but. Um, <laughs> Perhaps we'll leave that to others to decide, but I, yeah, I, I think it's it's fascinating to do. But let's let's agree that at least we don't. Uh, <laughs> yes, some definitely. others do, maybe. Uh, definitely, yeah. I think it's really important. Uh, do you have a, a sort of an immediate policy or an, a set of reflections on your time as a policy advisor during the uprisings? I mean, it's such a a fluid, powerful empowering, depressing, frustrating time that that it must have been well, completely different to, to the experience I had working in academia at that time. I mean, it, it was, you know, in, the, in these years, 2010, 11, 12, I mean, it was still, we, we were not, I mean, we were still somehow optimistic at the beginning that that it will work out somehow in 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 egypt and um and, and, and i mean it only when 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 sisi uh, when when sisi took over i mean then it was clear it's it's over at least for the time being it's 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 over but 
you know, I mean, in these days we were, I mean, I, at least I was rather enthusiastic about getting getting in, 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 engaged here. And and the same experience I had right right now, I mean, I just returned two weeks ago from, from a sabbatical in, in a research sabbatical in that I, that I spent in Lebanon, in Beirut. And, and I was, I was lucky. I mean, that, that, that I was thrown in the middle of, of, of an ongoing, I mean, most probably it's, it's not a real revolution, but by the kind of a social movement with part of it had really um, a revolutionary spirit. I mean, to, 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 to convert this this sectarian system of of uh, Lebanon into a into a uh, real democratic system. Yeah, um, and 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 it was fascinating to see. I mean, that, that hundreds of thousands in the best days, even up to one million people. I mean, in in the in the, in the whole of the country, of course. Um, were on the streets and, and 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 demonstrating for 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 deep political change, and that's hugely empowering. As someone who who I think you were slightly harsh on yourself, but someone who focuses on agency and does it in such a good way, that must have been such a such a powerful and amazing thing to experience at that time. This is. This is true. I mean, at the same time, of course, it comes also with with um, frustrations. I mean, when, when when we just have a look at, at what's going on in in, in, in Lebanon, um, I mean, how how a very small, highly extremely privileged, um, corrupt political elite just just really steals everything uh, from from the people, and 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 they have hardly the means to really um, counter, uh, or I mean, to really, yeah, to to really f- fight the system and and to to change it, and it's also very difficult. I mean, this is this is also something I, I experienced back in my days in in in, in Jordan and, and and Lebanon during the Arab Spring. That people, of course, also have they're sometimes disoriented or they don't know exactly. They know that. We want change, but but it's 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 one thing to know that you do not like or even strongly dislike the the, the current system that you are exposed to, and to come up with with a with a with a with a with a positive alternative. Uh, this is very difficult, especially also when in, in in an authoritarian system, and whose political elite manages to manipulate people and to to. To make them being scared of of any change. I mean, for example, the, the, the Christians in, in, in Lebanon, of course, they are somehow also scared that that a, a fully democratic system could be could could at the end be at their expense. Or yeah. back in the Arab Spring, um, many many were also scared that a truly democratic system would in would would, would in the end mean that, that that some islamists would would take over but but it's it, the, the main point here is that that this is of course orchestrated somehow by by a political authoritarian elite who systematically 
scare people to, to, to ask for real change. Sure. You've half preempted uh, the question that I had, Martin, which was to to just draw some parallels, if you can, between the events of the uprisings and, and the recent protests. But you've also written on the, the garbage crisis and the events mm-hmm. of, of the summer of 2015. What similarities do you think can be drawn between these three distinct periods of protest? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the in you know the the garbage crisis or this social movement in these days was in comparison to what's going on in Lebanon right now is is uh, rather small minuscule. I mean, it's like it's, it's it, in the, in the, back in those days it was impressive, but but if you compare it with what's going on in Lebanon now, this is, I think it's a it's a different different quality and. Um, when I compare, let's say, what's going on in in, in, uh, in Lebanon in, since since October and and what has been going on in in, in the Arab Spring in in 2010 and the years to come, um, then then most probably I would say that 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 of course in in, in, in Egypt and in Tunisia you had a real a real full fledged. A political revolution. However, and 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 this is, I mean, in, in Lebanon maybe this is in the making, but but it's not. It's far from sure whether this will be a fully fledged um, political revolution. However, I think also in a way, the, 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 for the Lebanese it's more difficult because this is, of course. In, in, I mean, I don't see the, I, I, I don't assess the the political system in, in in Lebanon as democratic. However, and so it's it's in a way it's an authoritarian regime. However, it's it's much smarter organized, let's say, than than in in, in Egypt it used to be in Egypt and in, in Tunisia. In, 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 in the, there, you had clearly. Highly authoritarian leaders, and and it was very clear you have to remove them, and and uh, I mean to organize something else. Whereas in 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 the in in Lebanon, I mean it's uh, the, the, these political elites, all of them, I would say, they are highly uh, they are highly corrupt, of course, and in in the end, this 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 electoral system is is not. It's not really truly democratic, yeah. but it's it's much uh, it's not it's not that that obvious, and and so it's also not that obvious what to what to do about it. But I think you you know much more. On, on, I mean, you, you have worked much more on this than than than, than I have than I've done. I think you've got this this interesting comparative way of looking at things, though, Martin. And your your previous experience and your first hand experience of, of the protests is is so valuable right now. So thank you so much for for sharing those observations. Thank you for for assessing it in such a it's a, such a kind and 
fluttering way. Well, it's it's my pleasure. Unfortunately, we we've have, I've got so many more questions, so much more to talk about. But perhaps what we'll have to do, Martin, is schedule a second conversation sometime in the future to talk about this... your work on Saudi Arabia, on Israel, on on the peace process. So I'm really looking forward to that. But thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. It's it has been great, um, Simon, and um, thanks a lot. I mean, it was really a great pleasure. Thank, thank you, you so much. And as always, thank you for listening. Until next time. Mm-hmm.